Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. Hey, welcome back, David Priest, uh, who is, I think, still has the record for the most appearances on the Bulwark Podcast. So, David, welcome back. It's good to be back. You keep telling me that, and I don't know who keeps these statistics, but I, I know I, I know Bill Crystal, being the baseball fan he is, inherently must be a man of statistics because baseball fans uh, are unlike anyone else in terms of wanting to know every bit of trivia. So outside of the Bulwark crew itself, like, yeah, like Bill right. and yeah. Sarah and yeah. all that, uh, I will rely on him to to keep tabs of that and tell me if I'm if I'm still being invited back, I think it's a good sign. It is a good sign. So just a couple of things, a little housekeeping stuff. Actually, it's not really housekeeping stuff. I just, just stuff I wanted to make sure that we got to, because I know that uh, you and I are going to be talking about Ukraine. And I want to talk about the Department of Justice saying they are investigating these fake electoral vote counts. I want to talk about J.D. Vance. I want to, I, there's so much stuff we're going to get into. Just a couple of things. Number one, just like meanwhile in Wisconsin, you know, yes, we have people who've lost their minds, but no, we have not completely lost our minds here in, in Wisconsin. It, it's kind of an illustration of how, how hard it is to catch up with, with fake stories. Yep. So Gateway Pundit puts out a tweet about something that happened in the state assembly here in Wisconsin. Huge breaking news. Wisconsin assembly votes to withdraw its 10 electors for Joe Biden. Okay. And then Carrie Lake who is the deplorable Trump-backed candidate for Arizona, tweets this out. Huge breaking news. Same thing. Wisconsin Assembly votes to withdraw its 10 electors. Arizona should be next, exclamation point. Okay? And there are, you know, tens of thousands of retweets and likes. It didn't happen at all. I mean, it's total bullshit. <laughs> do I understand so, it right that a resolution was introduced yes. to do this? By one and guy. there was no support. There was no co-sponsor. Uh, according to the rules, it had to just be parked away. But good. somehow that was picked up as this has happened. That's how disinformation works. It's also important to realize that even if the Wisconsin legislature tried to pass something revoking its electoral votes, it can't. Yeah, they, they've no, been they've yeah. been they've been counted. They've been voted. The president has been inaugurated. There there is no. Yeah rollback mechanism uh, that is legally possible. So uh, there's the assembly majority leader, there's a Republican assembly majority leader named Jim Steinecke. And he put out a tweet yesterday you know, about what happens. His representative Ramfin, this guy, just attempted to pass an assembly resolution to recall Wisconsin's presidential electors. Not only is it illegal, it's just plain unconstitutional. As chair of the rules committee, there is, and then he capitalizes, zero chance I will advance this illegal resolution. Hashtag end of story. Well, there you go. And then he had to put out... Another, again, this is the Republican Assembly leader, Jim Steinecke, had to put out another tweet basically saying, you know, that Carrie Lake and Gateway Pundit are completely full of shit, you know, that, that he introduces this resolution with zero support, not a single co-sponsor. There was no vote on it. So I just want to underline this. Now, the good that's the good news, I guess. The bad news is that Jim Steinecke has just announced that he's not running for re-election. I think he's had it with the shit show. He is the majority leader of the Assembly. But once again, it's this self-deportation of the sane Republicans. Right. And I, I, I was looking at his tweets today and thought, this is a guy who's all out of bleeps to give. You know, he's out, he's leaving, he's going to just call it like it is, and he doesn't care what, what kind of crap comes down on his head. I tell you, Charlie, watching yeah. this from afar, it looks like the Wisconsin 
GOP self-immolation is the worst in Wisconsin since Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, oh, too soon. It's just it is just too soon. No, I, I'll spend some more time on this later. But it, it it is interesting. Republicans are really poised to do very well in Wisconsin in 2022. Um, but they are really working on screwing it up. I mean, the knives are out. I mean, the cra- it's like the crazies versus the spineless, and and they're like it's it's like this alley fight. Okay, so speaking of disinformation and brains that are broken, <laughs> I actually have been exercising a great deal of restraint by not airing lots of Tucker Carlson sound bites on the on the podcast here, including you no know, since he has descended bizarrely into pro-Russian, pro-Putin propaganda. I mean, it's so amazing. I'm taking a deep breath here. Um, that on Russian state television, they're broadcasting Tucker Carlson all the time. I mean, they're just recycling. They can't believe it. They're just a little concerned that he's that he's not being subtle enough. <laughs> he's being a little too crude for Russian state television. But last night, just when you think you kind of, I, I never think we hit bottom. I just always know that there's, you know, there's, there's something else, but, but this was truly remarkable last night. He has on Alex Berenson, who has been one of the worst purveyors of disinformation about the vaccines, about the pandemic. He's been wrong over and over again. He's been reckless. He's been dangerous. He is a discreditable, uh, liar about all of this. And of course, Tucker Carlson and Fox News continue to give him a platform, which has been bad and I think has cost people lives. I I think people have died as a result of this. But last night, last night, I think it was the worst ever. And I'm just I'm presenting this because you can't share the soundbite on Twitter because Twitter has labeled it. You know, this is covid disinformation. Yeah, I haven't heard this, Charlie. Do you have the clip? Yes, I do. But millions of people watched Alex Berenson on Fox News basically say that people should not take the vaccines. In fact, he goes beyond this. And again, there is a distinction I think you can make between people who are against vaccine mandates. But Fox News has gone to the very, very far reaches. And this is as extreme as anything that has been broadcast by any uh, media outlet. This is Alex Berenson. Everything you're about to hear is complete bullshit, but this is what Fox News aired. This is what Tucker Carlson put on his show last night. These vaccines, these mRNA vaccines, the mRNA COVID vaccines need to be withdrawn from the market now. No one should get them. No one should get boosted. No one should get double boosted. They are a dangerous and ineffective product at this point against Omicron. The spike that they make your body make that you then produce antibodies to is not the Omicron spike. And earlier today, Tony Fauci said, we're not going to give people monoclonal antibody products because the first generation products, because they don't work against the Omicron spike. The same logic applies to these mRNA vaccines and giving people boosters. Even if in the very short term it knocks down infection rates, there's a boomerang effect. And that's what they're seeing in all these countries. We are at a dangerous moment and these products need to be withdrawn. When you say so, you say they're ineffective, and that's Oof. demonstrable to anybody who lives in this country. Everyone you know who's had it, you know, has had COVID. And most of them are fine. Oh, God. Wow. You know, I, I yeah, wow. Uh, you, you know, look, this is. I, I I pride myself on on you know you know being a student of language. I'm running out of words. I, yeah. I, I I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that's just not stupid, dangerous, reckless. That's evil. That yeah. this that they would put this guy on because you have health. Doctors and nurses all over the country 
pleading with people, please get boosted, get vaccinated. This is what saves lives. There's one study after another showing that, you know, the, the you know, you have like, what's it, 60 times is, you know, the chance of dying, um, being, un, you know, being, um, being unvaccinated. And, and yet here you have Fox News, Tucker Carlson, you know, fuckface McBowtie putting on Alex Berenson. I am grateful for the shots and the boosters because I've had three members of my family in the last few weeks get COVID uh, despite protections. And with shots and boosts, uh, all of them are fine. One of them had it worse than the others, but uh, all of them are fine. When the medical establishment, which I know is a, a dirty phrase to some, but when the medical establishment of people who have actual fucking degrees in this stuff, who practice medicine, who work on infectious diseases, when they give us the actual data of what the vaccines and the boosters do, what is Berenson's qualification to be making this? What was he a, a history or economics major at Yale? What what right does he have to be giving medical advice? Tucker Carlson knows this, does it anyway. We know we can't change Tucker Carlson. God knows we can't change this Berenson guy. But you know what? There were sponsors on that program. There were companies who were willing to pay money to this program to get their product in front of its its viewers. They have to realize that what they're doing is potentially killing their customers, and they are now complicit in spreading medical misinformation that costs lives. Uh, this is the real tragedy. And if the only sponsor of Tucker Carlson's program were the MyPillow guy, maybe, maybe he can't be reached. But yeah. you've got to tell me some of these other corporations can be reached. And this this is not a game anymore. This isn't somebody spreading their personal opinion about a political or a social issue. Th this is somebody who Tucker Carlson treats like a medical expert saying the exact opposite of what the data tell us. Yeah, see, I'm getting me exhausted by this. So something, 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 Paul Ryan on the board of Fox, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. they, they apparently don't care about all of this. Well, can I, can I turn yeah. to something a little more positive, Charlie? Please. Uh, I, I read your, your morning newsletter today, which for those of you out there who, who don't read the morning newsletter, you really should, because it's got interesting things like the Wisconsin issue, yeah. what was in there today. Yeah. But in your quick hits, you have something that may have fallen under the radar for a lot of people, given all of the other things out there in the news in the last 24 hours. And this was an interview with CNN yesterday with the yeah. Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, who has the best acronym title in Washington. She is the DAG. The Ooh. DAG announced that the Department of Justice is investigating those fake elector certificates that were submitted to the National Archives and to Congress by the Republican supporters in, in five states. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she acknowledged that they've received the referrals. And prosecutors are looking at them, but she yep. would not comment any further because it is an ongoing investigation. That's news. Big. No, I mean, we've been asking this question, will there be consequences? And where is the Department of Justice on all of this? I was actually nagging um, the attorney general in, in Michigan on television a couple of weeks ago saying, look, you got, you should do this. There's no reason why state attorney generals uh, can't pursue this like they are in Georgia. But I'm glad because, look, you know, we, we have all of this, you know, the heavy breathing about, you know, election fraud. And if you or I faked information on our application for a 
for our, let's say, voter registration or for an absentee ballot, we'd, we'd face a world of uh, legal hurt, right? So these folks, these, these Republican Trump supporters in five states, uh, you know, faked, forged actual elector certificates and submitted them to Congress and the National Archives. This is fraud. This is fakery. This is forgery. And it's not just, you know, one off. This is integral to this whole plot to overturn the election. So I'm, I'm glad I, you know, I mean, I have been among those who have been, you know, doing the thing, you know, tapping the fingers going, you know, where's, where's the department of justice? Are they going to do anything about it? So th this, I thought was kind of a, a BFD. It gives me some, some confidence, uh, not just because DOJ, you know, depersonalized as an institution is doing it, but Lisa Monaco put, put her name to it. And for listeners who aren't familiar yeah. with her, uh, she was a, f a former assistant U.S. attorney and all that and worked her way up through DOJ. But she was a special counselor to former FBI director Bob Mueller. She mm. was later his chief of staff. She ran the National Security Division at DOJ. She was the Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor in the Obama administration. She's tenacious. Um, I know Lisa, and if she publicly is saying this, that means that it is being taken seriously. This is not lip service to the issue. Now, that also tells us, Charlie, that if after a few weeks or a few months, if it comes out that the investigation has ended, that there is not a plausible criminal charge that that can be prosecuted on this, I take that to the bank. Uh, that mm -hmm. That is credible because I know she is so tenacious that she would not allow prosecutors to let it go if there, in fact, were a, a strong case that could be won in a court of law. So since we're on this topic, um, over the weekend, we had th this other report about this executive order, executive findings that uh, had been presented. It was apparently, you know, in, in the White House or floating around the White House, dated December 16th. Is this would have seizing the voting machines? and Yeah, whether they had the Department of you know Defense actually seize the voting machines. I mean, it's it's right. kind of the coup memo. It's not an actual executive order, but it's it's findings. Yeah. Um, and, and this you, is a weird this, one. This, this, now this is in your bailiwick. Did you have a chance to look at that? What, what I, did, I did. What, I, yeah. And I heard you and Bill talk about it on the podcast a couple of days ago, and it really sparked my interest because, indeed, the, the document itself, dated December 16th, is, is titled Presidential Findings to Preserve, Collect, and Analyze National Security Information Regarding the Election. And he uses the, the active verb, I, Donald J. Trump, he uses the verb find. That's the language of an intelligence finding. And this is something that it's useful to know when there is covert action, usually by the Central Intelligence Agency, in popular mythology and certainly in movies and TV shows, those are the CIA's covert actions. And sometimes you've got rogue officers out there doing these crazy covert actions around the world. That is not reality. Reality is that they are the president's covert actions. The president must sign a finding using this kind of language that authorizes the Central Intelligence Agency usually to do a special activity, as it's phrased in the legal language, or a covert action, as we tend to call it. Then you have an executing agency, one that follows through on it. Again, usually the CIA. But this doesn't read to me like an executive order. This reads to me like it was meant to be an intelligence finding. But it's really weird because intelligence findings are 
almost always directed to the Central Intelligence Agency. There's a reason for that. We have Executive Order 12333, which every intelligence officer knows because it has a bunch of interesting things in it, like, for example, the famous prohibition on assassination. No hmm. person employed by or acting on behalf of the United States government shall engage in or conspire to engage in assassination. That's why everybody in the intel business learns it, because it does put executive prohibitions on certain intel activities. But inside that executive order, which is the first thing other than the Constitution cited in this supposed finding, that that executive order says the CIA shall conduct special activities approved by the president. It says no agency except the CIA or the armed forces of the U.S. during a period of war shall conduct any special activity unless the president determines that another agency is more likely to achieve a particular hmm. objective. Well, guess what? This faux finding was directed to the Secretary of Defense to seize machines, equipment, and other records required for retention that relate to the election, then make some kind of initial assessment, then provide that to the intelligence community. This is far from normal. And even if it were a finding that had some validity to it, you would think it would be directed, like most intelligence findings, to the CIA. There's a reason why the president did not direct this to the CIA, which is you'd probably have CIA officers resigning saying, hmm. this is not a valid finding and we are not going to execute it. Directed at the Department of Defense, I don't know what he thought the Secretary of Defense was going to say when, when he got this. But as you recall, there was a lot of churn at the top of the Department of Defense in the last few weeks of the administration. Sure looks like he was trying to do an intelligence finding for covert action against the election machine, saying that there was some probable cause that there had been foreign interference in the election. Okay, so this is hypothetical. But let's say that he did. He had surrounded himself with toadies and loyalists. And I keep thinking of the Jonathan Carl book where, where he talks about how, what was his name? Johnny McEntee? Was, yeah, the, person, the, to, to the, the body guy who was in charge of personnel, um, you know, was, was pushing to put in Trump loyalists and in the end uh, didn't succeed in getting people into the key positions. But let's just assume for the sake of argument, hypothetically, that you had an attorney general and, and a department of defense that were willing to do Trump's bidding. He comes up with those findings, issues the order based on those findings. Is that is that within the power of the president? Because I mean, one of the things that we discovered over the last four years is that the president has sort of unsuspectable powers. And if it's not legal, what would the check have been? Would we even have known about it? Right. If you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. You know, could he have gotten away with this? Is what I'm saying. If he had the people in power, given these plenary powers that we have given to the commander in chief, you know, yeah. through these emergency orders and everything, could he have done this? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, yes, he could have, because the first check on unethical rising to the level of illegal presidential action is advisors and those working in the executive branch. If you get an illegal order, you cannot execute it. But if you determine in some bizarre thinking that this is legal, then you can justify doing it. But even if mm. it is legal and it's just really, really bad, you still have to cross that ethical bar. And that's where things can fall apart easily because a lot of people think if the president says it and it's not illegal or it can be construed <sighs> as not yeah. illegal, 
therefore you must follow it. Um, that is not what, what ethical leadership and ethical followership means. If you have people in place who will do that, it removes one of the uh, informal checks against presidential abuse of power. So you go to the more formal means, which is impeachment. You impeach yeah. a president and remove a president for abuse of power by using the high crimes and misdemeanors in the Constitution. Yeah. Well, we saw how impeachment worked in this last administration, but this definitely would be impeachable behavior because it, it clearly is an abuse of power. It clearly is a high crime or misdemeanor under the Constitution. It would just take the will of Congress to actually impeach and remove a president for doing. We it. know how that is. See, th this is, again, it, it comes it comes back to the the fact that that much of our system is based on the honor system. That the checks and balances are sort of metaphorical. That that if you if you don't have ethical officials and, and you don't have a Congress that's willing to hold a president of its own party to, uh, to account, then what what actually are the checks and balances? And you know, I keep thinking of the who who was it who came up with the the analogy of the sort of the velociraptors have now figured out you know how to turn the doors, open <laughs> the doors, and everything. You know, yeah. for people who are going, you know. It was, it was, it didn't work. It didn't succeed. I think what you found was that they probed and found all the vulnerabilities. So uh, I'm not, I'm not so sanguine about that. And, and I'm, okay, I'm uh, very uh, curious also as a final note on this, what, what it was the president was hearing and seeing that made him think that the senior leadership of the Department of Defense would go along with this. And as a parallel to that, what was he seeing and hearing about the leadership of the Central Intelligence Agency and the intelligence community overall that was making him think, I should not direct it there? Um, perhaps there was a lot of courage going on behind the scenes and a lot of messages being sent that, no, uh, we are ethical people. We will not execute this if it comes our way. I'm not sure that happened because I'm not sure this ever saw the light of day. I'm not sure that this draft finding was vetted around or people even caught wind of it in all the places that we're talking about. Who knows? And I understand people are frustrated. I think they ought to be frustrated because we we have been telling ourselves, you know, one of our founding myths is that no one is above the law, right? That uh, that the president is not above the law, but we're finding out that in many ways he is above the law. And if he's not held accountable after he leaves office, then really we've created a precedent that you cannot hold a president accountable when he's in office and somehow there's something wrong or too dangerous or too difficult to hold him accountable after he leaves office. I keep thinking about even Mitch McConnell when he gave that speech on the floor of the Senate where he you know, was opposing impeachment but suggested that, that, uh, that Trump could still be held legally accountable afterwards. I mean, he understood this, but... If nothing comes of the investigations in New York, if nothing comes of these Department of Justice investigations, if nothing comes of the grand jury down in Georgia, we really are in a situation where a president can flout the law, can undermine the country and with literally no legal consequence whatsoever. That in itself, in itself is a disturbing precedent. Very much so. And, and something that, that shouldn't surprise us. Because, I mean, the founders themselves at the Constitutional Convention yeah. wrestled with this issue of exactly what the balance is. We need a strong executive. The Articles of Confederation aren't working. But we don't want a strong executive because haven't we just dealt with tyranny? So we need to find that right balance. They knew it was a very narrow channel to the extent that they debated everything from exactly who is going to be the power, have the power to impeach and remove. 
Uh, is it going to be a, a president or a co-presidency among multiple people? They even talked about whether there should be a, a council or a, uh, a cabinet. And, and they rejected that, thinking that that would, in fact, take away the responsibility of the president. And, and you could not hold a president as responsible if you could blame the advisors like people were doing around King George III. They, they wrestled with this very issue, and I think they recognized how narrow a channel they had to get it right. And the fact is, right now, the members of Congress aren't getting it right because that is the fundamental check on abuse of power. No. Um, and, of course, uh, the ultimate check, I suppose, would be the electorate. But I, I, I presume you've seen the Politico morning console poll this morning showing that mm -hmm. if there was a rerun between Trump and, and Joe Biden, it's, it's basically a dead heat. It's within mm -hmm. the margin of error. Um, Biden leads Trump by one point. It's kind of interesting, by the way, a dilemma for Republicans. A generic Republican wins easily, but yeah. you actually put somebody like Donald Trump up and it becomes, even as weak as Joe Biden is, it's still a dead heat. Given the fact that Joe Biden is way underwater right now, I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. The only way the Republicans can blow this thing is to come up with Donald Trump. But if they do come up with Donald Trump, there is a real possibility. And I, I just need to keep reminding people, one of the reasons why I continue to nag Democrats to not screw things up mm -hmm. is there is a very real possibility that Donald Trump, armed with this knowledge of the vulnerabilities of the system, could come back to power. Yeah, there's and a then, general. And then what are the checks? There's a general tendency to these polls that we we need to be cautious of, which is when you ask about somebody's favorability, unfavorability rating, the question is usually something like, do you approve of the way person X is handling issue Y? Um, do you approve of the way Joe Biden is handling his job as president? The unfavorable numbers when asked just about the person in power, and this is often true if it's a member of Congress or if it's the president. You, you can have some pretty high unfavorability numbers. As soon as you put that person against another yeah. candidate, however, then it's not, do you like what a politician is doing, which a lot of Americans will, you know, thumbs down. But do you like what this person is doing enough that they're better than this other person? Right. Then suddenly it gets interesting. That's where the poll that you cited, uh, why there's a discrepancy between a generic Republican and a specific Republican, right. because it's it's the general specific dilemma in polling. Do you do you like the way Joe Biden is handling the presidency? And a lot of people right now are saying no. Well, what would who would you vote for, Joe Biden or some Republican? Well, a lot of people say some Republican. Sure. And as soon as you put a name on it, that number tends to go down because people associate the negative qualities of that other person with the choice of uh, choosing them or not in the poll. Yeah, that's that, of course, is the obvious flaw is that they poll for generic, but generic never actually shows up on on the ballot. Uh, that's right. Okay, so let's, I want to talk about, I feel like we're sort of like dancing around the, the, the rim of the volcano these days. Mm. Uh, uh, all of the indications suggest that we are continuing to inch toward the possibility of a Russian invasion of Ukraine, an actual fighting war. Charlie, you said rim of the volcano, and I thought you were going to Tonga. So I'm glad that we're yeah, not going to no. a cataclysmic geological event, but instead a cataclysmic no. geopolitical event. I sure wouldn't want to have been around Tonga. 
Can't even. No. Wait, we, you know, the fact that we don't get any news out of Tonga probably is an indication of how awful it was. Yeah, that, you that's, think about that's it. bad news. Yeah, the satellite imagery is is giving us some scenes of it, but I think it's going to be something over the weeks and months to come. We're going to realize. <laughs> I mean, thankfully, it is not a heavily populated area. That 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 same volcano at that same magnitude going off in Japan or oh, Indonesia um, would have been just an apocalypse. Um, but I think it will be bad. But I'm sorry, I, I took us from from bad oh. to worse. Let's go back to bad. So what do you, I mean, only Vladimir Putin knows what is going to happen next. Uh, the Ukrainian leaders are sort of telling the country to know an invasion's not imminent. American officials, British officials seem to think that uh, this thing is escalating, that it could happen any time between now and the middle of February. What do you think? Is Vladimir Putin, is he up for a hot war in Ukraine, because this is not going to be just a tanks roll in and tanks roll out. I mean, clearly you go into Ukraine. Uh, we've armed the Ukrainians with Stinger missiles. They appear to be ready to fight. What do you think Vladimir Putin's going to do? I got to say, I am very wary of trying to get inside Vladimir Putin's head uh, because I don't have a good sense of his incentive structures, what it is he values most, what it is he actually fears the most. Um, I am confident that there are people who are doing that well. Some of my former colleagues at CIA who have studied uh, the Russian system and Putin specifically for decades have a have a much better way of doing that than I would as an as an armchair pundit. But I will say that from all the information we've seen, which I think we should get to in a moment in terms of the information mm -hmm. that we have seen, I think it is clear that Russia is poised to invade Ukraine and take a significant chunk of its territory in the east if he does choose to do so. And that's not an empty comment. That's right. that's to he say could. that right. he has spent the money at at significant cost to have the assets in place to do that along with the opportunity costs of what what could be done elsewhere. He's pulled troops away from other places, he's activated units, he's done things that have some cost in order to have the forces in place if he chooses to do that. Now, that could all be a bluff, or it could be like Iraq in 1990 when they moved a bunch of troops to the border of Kuwait. They had everything in place to invade. People did not know what Saddam Hussein would do. A lot of Arab leaders were telling U.S. leaders, including President Bush, he will not invade. This is just a bluff. But Saddam Hussein did invade. Mm -hmm. Uh, because all of the supply chains, all of everything was in place to do so, and he did choose to. So what I look at is the situation on the ground tells us it is a distinct possibility and everything is in place that it mm -hmm. could happen. Therefore, we have to plan for the fact that it will happen. Okay. But I think we do a bad job of projecting our decision-making onto Vladimir Putin. We will say, well, if I were Vladimir Putin... I wouldn't do this because I really don't want more sanctions. Or if I were Vladimir Putin, I would do this because I only care about bringing back the Soviet empire that I grew up in as a KGB officer. Okay, but that's projecting the way you think Vladimir Putin would think. And I just don't have high confidence in that based on information publicly available. Well, that's right. And we we, we don't. Um, you're absolutely right. Obviously, he's he's poised to be able to do this. It is a high risk, high reward proposition for him. He risks the future of his regime 
if things don't go well. There's no question about it. I mean, you if there are a lot of casualties, if things go wrong, um, you know, you're putting a lot on the line. He may be putting his own future on the line. On the other hand, he could also, with with the reward, restore the the Soviet Empire. So I don't know. You actually had an interesting map that you tweeted out uh, th- this this morning, because it, it's it, there is this propaganda push to say, well, you know, this is the Russian sphere of influence. They feel surrounded. Uh, we ought to understand, you know, that there's sort of legitimate geopolitical needs. And you're pointing out what was the map that you had? You you had a map showing that what yeah. Kiev is the same distance from. Moscow as it is from Rome. Or Not something. quite what it? that. Yeah, um, yeah. What, what I was trying to do, uh, and of course, people want to argue with everything they see on the socials. So of course, there's there's trolls coming out and pointing out that, well, Ukraine isn't about to invade Moscow, or alternatively, that it's about the borders. It's not about the proximity to... Okay, all that is true. Facts are facts. But my point was the western tip of Ukraine is actually closer to Italy, which we think of as a Western European country, than the capital of Ukraine is to, to Moscow itself deep inside Russia. Now, that's not to make some point about where military hardware could move in a certain amount of time. That's really a slap across the face to Americans, who most of us are geographically ignorant of things outside of an area directly around us, that Ukraine is, number one, a huge country, um, parts of Western Ukraine are much closer to Vienna, Austria than they are to it, the own, their own capital city of Kiev. Number two, that Western Ukraine in particular is, is more culturally aligned with and physically closer to Central and Eastern Europe hmm. than it is to Russia itself. And if the Russian propaganda is, well, Ukraine really is Russian. Uh, Russians have owned it for centuries and occupied it. They wouldn't use the word occupied, of course. They would say it, it's it's Russian territory. Um, to the extent that Russian propagandists try to say this, it's, it's building on the ignorance of geography that Ukraine, in most people's minds, if they don't look at a map, kind of just feels like part of Russia. And and maybe it's it's really, really close to Russia and not really a part of Europe, certainly not a part of Western Europe. And there's a bit of there's a bit of danger there in thinking that this country is is something that yeah we we should just allow Russia to run roughshod over an independent Ukraine because it just feels like Russia to us it is not it is an independent country it is not part of Russia and maybe it's a wake up call for some people to realize that parts of Ukraine are closer to countries that we have always thought and always will think of as western europe uh, than it is to parts of Russia. So this may come off as, as somewhat politically incorrect, but I'm struck by the fact that uh, Putin is playing this card in the middle of winter, and one of the cards that he has to play is cutting off energy supplies to Europe, which has become increasingly dependent on natural gas from from Russia, and perhaps is one of the reasons why Germany has been so slow in lining up against uh, Russian aggression, because they really do depend on um on, the, on yep. the natural gas from from Russia, one of the reasons they are so dependent on the fuel supplies from Russia is because in Germany they've shut down all of their nuclear reactors, their nuclear you know, power. And I guess I keep coming this. This may seem like it's tangential, but I, I keep coming back to this question of if we really do think that climate change is an existential threat to the planet, if we really do want to be energy independent. 
this this bias against nuclear power yeah. seems so odd to me because if if in fact germany did have its nuclear capability still in place it would not be so dependent on russia it would be more independent and quite frankly its carbon footprint would be would be smaller so i just this Yep. You know, it's it's one of the things that I, I don't I don't connect the dots necessarily on. It's a wake up call to other countries for, for Germany. It's not going to help them this week if Russia no, invades, no. but it's a wake up call to other countries to realize, yes, you need you need renewable energy. You need other methods that do come with some costs. Let's let's not, you know, be um, cavalier about that. But you need to be thinking proactively about this uh, so that when a crisis comes, you have choices. Now, let's be clear. Germany and the rest of Western Europe that is getting some gas from Russia, uh, they, they will have other choices. It will be a burden if their gas gets cut off, no doubt, in the winter. But I found it telling that the president of the United States is having a meeting with uh, Tamim bin Hamad Al Thani, the emir of Qatar, which mm. is one of the largest natural gas producers in the world and has accessibility to get gas to customers in a hurry who need it. That probably is not a coincidence. How do you get it there, though? I, I, I saw that headline yesterday where the United States was saying to Europe, uh, hey, you know what, it, it, you know, we'll, we'll step in and help you get the energy if you don't get it from Russia. But I, I don't know. It's, it's like there, what, there's a, like a pipeline there. I mean, what, how? I, I don't know of any pipeline there, but the LNG super tankers that yeah, are constantly on the world's tankers. oceans, um, pr mostly from the Gulf region going through the Indian Ocean to East Asia, Japan, uh, for example, and others getting natural gas from, from the Gulf region. Uh, will that get to Germany right away if the pipeline is cut off? Of course it won't. But it can be a, I don't want to compare it too much to the Berlin airlift, but it can be a situation where okay. things are bad and there is a way to get them some of the materials they need to take that hit and to reduce their dependency and maybe eliminate their dependency on Vladimir Putin and Russia. Okay, so in the time we have left, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and going back to something that, that feels familiar, but but once again, it's, it's worth noting the J.D. Vance story. J.D. Vance uh, once again tells us who he is. I like Andrew Kaczynski's tweet about this. You know, J.D. Vance went from Aspen Institute panels, a CNN job, and Manhattan book parties to touting the endorsement of a person who previously wrote Pizzagate is real and endorsed executing Democrats on Facebook and Twitter. Quite the transformation in a short time. This is J.D. Vance tweeting out yesterday, honored to have Marjorie Taylor Greene's endorsement. We're going to win this thing and take the country back from the scumbags. Yeah, I focus on one I... word there, Charlie, which is he, presumably he and not a member right. of his staff, he chose to have his finger type on his keyboard the word honored at Marjorie Taylor Greene's endorsement. Think about honored. that. Honored. What does honored. it say about a person whose sense of honor is that you have an endorsement from, from her and everything she has said, everything she has done, everything she stands for? Uh, the word honor does not mean what he thinks it means. But that's an interesting point. Because when you type that word, you basically are showing that you don't understand the concept of honor and or that you have leached out any actual content or meaning from the word honor. I also don't have a sense of Ohio politics. We'll have to ask our colleague Jim Swift yeah. and others. I don't have a sense of whether an endorsement from Marjorie Taylor Greene 
is is going to matter that much in this in this race. Maybe it will at the the very margins. So what what have you done, JD Vance? You have shown how dishonored far- yourself. You have yeah. shown yourself to be even worse than a lot of people have been thinking of you, which is a really tough bar to clear, but it even is. worse than what yeah. people thought. And for what political advantage? Maybe a marginal one, but probably not much of one at all. Good job. What's the opposite of virtue signaling? <laughs> I mean, it's just like, it's, so on, it, sounds he, like a TV show from the 80s, so I'm not sure we can use that, but it's, uh, yeah, anti-virtue signaling. And and there's a lot packed into this very short tweet. So, you know, dishonoring the word honored, talking about Marjorie Taylor Greene. And then he also typed the word scumbags. This, of course, was the same day that uh, the MAGAverse was clutching its pearls about uh, Joe Biden calling calling somebody, uh, you know, a, a, a stupid son of a bitch, because that's just terrible. But he chose it. We have to take the country back from the scumbags. And that's also a signal, isn't it, that that I'm going to I'm going to use the tough language. I'm going to use it because I fight. Am I right? I may be this Yale best-selling author who used to be at the Aspen Institute stuff, but but I I think of my my enemies the way Marjorie Taylor Greene thinks of them as scumbags. I, I it is say, kind of. I feel sorry for Yale lately. We've been talking about Berenson. We've been talking about Vance. Yale is not getting a lot of good publicity lately. So speaking of people's brains being broken. You know, I was thinking about Robert F. Kennedy, you know, RFK Jr., whose brain has been broken for some time on vaccines. But I see you and I are not psychologists, but there are people out there who are not clinically insane. Just follow along because I'm making this up as I go along here. Mm-hmm. They're clearly not clinically insane, but their brains have been broken in some fundamental way. They say crazy things things. They believe crazy things. They are willing to do things that seem irrational, that maybe isn't the right word, but right. Um, cracked. I mean, I, I I posted this thing from this, this QAnon conspiracy theorist and prophet who, you know, declares that from heaven's standpoint, Trump is the number one government official on planet Earth. He's the president, not just of the United States. He is God's president for Earth. Oh, well, now, I, okay. I, I hadn't gotten that memo. I wasn't aware okay. of that. No. So, okay. So this guy presumably goes out and he goes shopping and he pays his bills and he drives a car (laughs) and you wouldn't put him actually in an institution. You would say he's a functioning member of society. Yeah. Yeah. But he's barking mad. Well, there's a difference here. That shit crazy. So what's going on? I think we have to differentiate here and without getting into the psychology of any individual, which I, like you, I'm not qualified to do. There's performative craziness mm. and there is actual craziness. Okay, that's good. Um, there, there is a difference there and we can guess which one is going on. And I think with some very good clues, we can be right most of the time. If somebody says something like that, but then there is audio of them whispering to somebody in the background, you know, I don't believe this shit. I'm just saying it because the fans love it. Then, Vance then, would that's be a good sign that yeah. it's performative right. craziness and it's there to get clicks. It's there to get attention. It's, it's there to, to draw Cruise, the right. Cruise would be performative. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Cruise. Mm-hmm. No, he knows better. Um, it's performative craziness. It's, it's, uh, it's sad. It's pathetic. It's lowering your own credibility in the long run. It's, it's cheapening your ethics, but it's, it's conscious process at some level at the other extreme is actual mental illness. And it's not something to be made fun of. It's not something to be taken lightly. 
but there is actual mental illness in the world that can present yeah. as what what we're talking about in terms of these kinds of things being said. In the middle, I'm not sure for any individual. It sure seems to me, given his long record of of talking about vaccines, that RFK Jr. is not in the performative craziness. No. Um, this is not something he's taking advantage of the moment to try to say something. It seems that this is a core belief of his. I don't know how he got there. And frankly, I'm not going to take the time to research and find out because I don't care. But I don't know whether we can say where he is on that line between performative craziness and actual mental illness. So, okay, I, I, I think that Alex Berenson would also fall into probably the performative. Um, who knows what actually goes on in his head. But Tucker Carlson, I think, is definitely in the performative stage. And I guess there's also that that mental moral decision that you make. Okay, do I exploit the crazies, whether they're really crazy or whether they're just performatively crazy? Do I exploit them? Is this going to help me? Will it get me more ratings? Will it get me more clicks? Will it get me more outrage? And that's where the the really deep evil cynicism of the Fox News folks comes in. That even so they know these, these people, are, you know what I'm saying? I mean. They will kill people. So many of these things boil down to the same thing, Charlie. And I find myself rubbing my temples and putting yeah. my my face in my hands. It's yeah. So many of the things just that we've talked about here today boil down to something very simple, which is ethics are underrated. And if you for, for clicks or if you for you, the success of your commercial show, you're an entertainer and a performer on TV pretending to be a news person like Tucker Carlson, if you so easily sacrifice your ethics for one of those goals, uh, that that is is very sad. Ethics are underrated right now in our political culture, and that's something we have to fix, or none of these other problems uh, will be easily solvable. No, I I agree with you, but also there's this the fundamental even. So, instinct of self-preservation that says don't do something that might kill someone mm. don't do something that may cause people to die and clearly that line doesn't exist for fox news and for tucker carlson and they I just don't give a shit i don't know a way of getting to that and mm. perhaps it's something like taking a busload of these uh performative craziness actors of different stripes you know, and putting them in an ICU for a couple of days to actually yeah. watch people suffer and die because of the misinformation. Uh, I, I'd like to think that that would reach them at a human level and they would find their moral compass again. But part of me is very sad to think I'm not sure even that would do it. This is too easy. And um, but there is still I guess I'm still old enough to remember when you know, people who said they were pro-life mm. actually would try to act like they were pro-life, not say, I am pro-life, but I am going to go on national television and tell people not to get boosted, not to get vaccinated. And yet we have developed this cognitive dissonance where people can hold these completely contradictory thoughts in their head right. and apparently still be functioning members of society. And <laughs> so. and and let's put out the counterfactual scenario, Charlie. Um, let's say that we were in a pandemic and we were on track to have a million Americans dead and there was a vaccine that was developed in record time, but this vaccine actually had a, let's say a 10% fatality rate, or maybe it had an effectiveness rate of 60% yeah. instead of the sky high 
actual effectiveness rate of this vaccine, then I wouldn't, I, I would understand a lot of vaccine hesitancy. Most vaccines in history haven't been that way, but honestly, most vaccines in history haven't been as good as this one. But I could understand if you had people saying, right. well, I'm really hesitant because there's the known action, the actual agency of putting into my teenager's arm a shot that has this significant percentage of doing them grave harm. Then at least I could understand there's a fig leaf to this. But when they're saying these hyperbolic things about the vaccine and the danger it's doing and all of this, when in fact, in from what I've seen, people reporting about the medical history of vaccines, this vaccine is really damn good and it's not causing a 10% fatality rate or anything even close to that. It is completely misplaced. And the only way in which this kind of hysteria over the vaccine makes sense, and then the monopolizing on it in the sense we've talked about, um, is, is if you assume that all of those things are true, in which case you've got to be getting bad information because they're just not true. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I think we'll be paying the price for this assault on, on the human brain for a very, very long time. David Priest, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we'll do this all over again. <laughs>